0: Listener-supported, WNYC Studios.
1: From WNYC Studios, you're listening to Nancy.
2: With your hosts, Tobin Lowe and Kathy Tu.
3: Last week, our sound design extraordinaire, Jeremy Bloom, brought us an investigation into the gay and lesbian kingdom of the Coral Sea Islands, and it was such a deep dive into something I did not know existed.
2: Yes. If you have not listened to that episode, go back and listen, because it is so good.
3: And I was so inspired by Jeremy's investigation that I wanted to do some of my own.
2: You certainly were not going to sit back and let him have all of the fun.
3: Absolutely not. As you know, Tobin, I live for the search. <laughs> So I thought I'd get out there, do some deep dives, find answers to people's pressing questions, big and small, myth-bust some stereotypes, reveal secret gay histories.
2: Yes, Kathy, yes.
3: So a few months ago, I put out a call to the Nancy-verse to see if anyone had a thing they'd like me to investigate. And folks responded. So I wrangled up some Nancy producers to help me out, which we'll get to. Okay, okay. But first, the tweet that caught my eye was from Corianda, a listener in L.A. Well, I had, I felt like I had, like, very solid academic intellectual inquiries for Nancy to explore. And then, of course, the one that I tweeted publicly was to explore where the whole gays love iced coffee thing came from. Uh,
2: (laughs) This speaks to me because I am one of those gays who loves iced coffee.
3: I mean, I love iced coffee, too. And most of my queer friends also love iced coffee but I didn't know that this was a gay thing. I've never heard of it as a purely gay thing. Please enlighten me.
2: I mean, I don't know if there's like a ton of deep layers here. I think it's just like a running joke that queer people, uh, and I would say especially gay men, will drink iced coffee any time of the year, any weather, it could be the dead of winter, there will be an iced coffee in that hand.
4: It really kicked off when there was the big freeze in New York.
3: This is Alam Karaj, a journalist in London. Alan wrote an article last year for GQ called Why Is Iced Coffee So Gay.
4: And there was that image of that one man walking through the gale snowstorm grasping this iced latte. <laughs> Just a sort of an iconic image.
3: What happened was during the 2019 polar vortex, the city of New York posted a photo on Twitter. Of this guy wearing a jacket with a fur hood outside, you can barely see his face, but what you do see is, clutched in his hand, an unmistakable iced coffee slash latte, probably from Starbucks. The caption read, a New Yorker in the snow carrying what seems like dot 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 iced coffee? Hashtag only in New York. Loads of people on Twitter immediately responded like, gay people, duh, gay rights, people are gay.
4: You know, people kind of making the same joke that no matter the season, iced coffee is gay.
3: Of course, you can't actually tell the person in the snowstorm's sexual orientation. But from then on, iced coffee is gay means became like a running thing on Twitter. Okay,
2: okay. And also, iced coffee just better.
3: I agree. Okay, so there are two questions here. Number one, do gays actually drink more iced coffee? And number two... Either way, why did this joke that iced coffee is gay become a thing?
2: (laughs) I cannot wait for the answers on this journey.
3: (laughs) To answer question one, do gays actually drink more iced coffee? I ran two polls, very scientifically. One in our Friends of Nancy Facebook group, and then another one on Twitter. And I actually opened it up to all queers. Both questions were basically, queers, iced coffee or hot coffee?
2: Okay, okay.
3: And okay, so here's the results. First of all, lots of tea drinkers out there. Sorry I couldn't really involve you all in this investigation.
2: Shout out to the tea drinkers.
3: Tobin, I was shocked by the results.
2: Okay, what were the results?
3: So in the Friends of Nancy Facebook group, which, shout out to the folks who participated, we love you, uh, the results were basically two to one in favor of hot coffee.
2: What? That like spits in the face of everything I know. (laughs) Does it? It really does. It shakes me. It shakes me to my core.
3: <laughs> and in the Twitter poll, iced coffee barely eked out a win. Like, just a slight win.
2: Okay, okay. It's still surprising to me.
3: So question number one answered very scientifically via social media polling. Decidedly, iced coffee is not actually more popular than hot coffee. So on to answer question number two. If iced coffee isn't actually more popular amongst the queers then why is gays loving iced coffee such a thing on Twitter?
2: Great question.
3: So I went back to Alem to ask him, what is it about iced coffee that makes it gay?
4: Of course, iced coffee is like not gay because it's, <laughs> it's a drink. Wow, how dare you, sir?
3: Alim gave me a few reasons why gays might have claimed iced coffee. Reason number one.
4: I think iced coffee, because it can be sort of bastardized so in so many different ways, It can be anything. You can turn it into a frappuccino, or you can turn it into a colorful unicorn drink.
2: Yeah, yeah. I just feel like, you know, iced coffee, it's more free. It's more proudly itself. It's extra, and it knows it.
3: Right. Reason number two, iced coffee being a gay thing, it's an inside joke for us. It's something ridiculous just for us.
4: Honestly, straight people do not get it. They just don't get it.
3: Right. They don't.
4: You don't understand... The language because it's not for you. Like, don't try and have this.
3: I went back to Coriander and told her everything the results of my social media polls, what LM told me about the meme. And she said, <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. I think it's more about the joy of the meme than it is the reality. Oh. It's just a fun thing. <laughs> That's what I think it is. And I think, I mean, like, realistically, I drink way more hot coffee than I do iced coffee because. That's what we have at work. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. So, I do do that too. Sometimes i um, governed by laziness. Parting investigation thought, Tobin. I'd like to think of this iced coffee meme as something truly aspirational. Yes, in our reality, more people drink hot coffee, probably because it's the default. But... Is that really the world that we want to live in? Like in a perfect world, would we all have perfect iced coffees all the time? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay,
2: that seems like a little bit of a stretch, but I will give it to you.
3: Thank you, Tobin. Okay, so Tobin, I had some lofty goals with these investigations. I wanted to do a million deep dives, get answers for people.
2: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You had a very long list of things to research.
3: And then, unfortunately, I got a little sick, so Team Nancy came to the rescue. Enter producers B.A. Parker and Zakia Gibbons. Parker. Zakia.
5: We thought we'd pick up where Kathy left off and do some investigations of our own. Uh-huh. And I wanted to use this as an opportunity to get answers to all of my
1: queries. Get it? Oh, God. Queries. And since I'm a straight, I'm here to be slightly confused, but happy to be along for the ride. Hey.
5: And we're going to answer all of those queries rapid fire style. Rapid, <laughs> rapid, rapid, fire, fire, fire. OK, our first question, haircuts. It's 2020. The undercut has been here for a long time. It's tried and true. And it feels like it's time for a new queer hairstyle, but what's it gonna be? I asked hair colorist Lucy Jacoby, who works at Aroho NYC. What is gonna be this new decade's like new, hot, queer hairstyle? Like
0: a really fucked up mullet, like long in the back, <laughs> short in the front.
1: Mullets, really? I mean, wasn't this already a thing? I know, right? It
5: definitely was. Ellen DeGeneres had one back in the day. So just to make sure, I called up Maddie Court, who is Xena Warrior Princess on Instagram. That's warrior, like she's worried. She's kind of the queen of lesbian memes. And she had the same exact
1: thought. Definitely unequivocally mullets. Did you hear that? Definitely unequivocally the mullet. I mean, a dreadlock mullet could be a thing. And you could be the trendsetter for that.
5: It could be a thing, but I will not be the person to usher be it in. Be
1: the Neil Armstrong of the dreadlocked mullet. I could
5: be the Shirley Chisholm of the dreadlocked mullet. You know what? Let's move on. Question number two. So I'm by, and people have always told me that I sit in chairs weirdly Like, I'll sit with my foot under my ass or slumped over or leaning to one side.
1: Yes, this is very true. I've seen this countless times at the office back when we could leave our homes. But then one
5: day I was scrolling Instagram and I saw this meme that said, finally a chair for bi people. And it was a picture of someone sitting in a weird position in this very untraditional office chair that had two levels, like one for your ass and one below to rest your leg on or your foot on. It allows you to sit in all sorts of yoga poses. And that's when I thought, do I sit like this because I'm bi?
1: Sakia, that's offensive. I'm offended for you.
5: <sighs> Whatever. Uh, so I hit up the guy who designed the chair. His name is Pac Matthews, because I wanted to know if he knew that he was making a bi chair. Yeah,
6: I didn't know until people started met- describing our chair as a bisexual <laughs> chair. And I <that> wasn't. <laughs>
0: where's this coming from? I mean, we're flattered.
5: Can bisexual people get a discount for this chair?
0: Um.
5: <laughs> I'm mostly kidding. <laughs> I'm like 99% <laughs> kidding. Okay, Parker, I don't really know how to answer why or if bi people sit in chairs funny. But it seems to be a not just me thing. Also, side note, I really want one of those chairs. Okay, next. Question number three.
1: You've got Cher, Lady Gaga, Britney Spears, Ariana. They're all gay icons, albeit very straight white ladies. And I wanted to know who is the next straight white lady gay icon? So I dug deep, called my friend Thomas. My pop culture expert, he's in the know to find out who that gay icon could be. Oh, yeah, it's Dua Lipa. Dua Lipa, uh, okay, Dua Lipa. I mean, she's fine, I guess. She is a Grammy Award winning best new artist. Thank you. I don't know why I'm hyping her so much. Uh,
5: but I mean, my queer pop icon will forever be Janelle Monet. All right, next question number four. There's this stereotype that has long permeated lesbian culture, and it's that lesbians love cats. Yeah. In fact, Straddle did a survey about it and found that lesbians are more likely to own cats than any other group of people. I wouldn't know, as I myself am a dog bisexual, so I hit up Dr. Rachel Korbman, a visiting professor in women's gender and sexuality studies at Wake Forest University she curated an exhibition all about lesbians and cats.
1: My theory is that cats have a lot of associations with femininity and often like kind of dangerous or deviant forms of femininity. So I um, can think of like associations of cats with witches, associations of like cats, even with like pejorative terms for vagina. After the 1970s, there was sort of a defiant reclamation of cats within different lesbian subcultures. Lesbian feminists were reclaiming cats. And now, furthering this educational moment, our final query,
5: question number five, is a question that I handed off to you, Parker.
1: Yes, and thank you for now making my next Family Thanksgiving more awkward. You're welcome. You told me queer people love soup, and you wanted to know why, and so, I went and asked my sweet, sweet god sister, the Undercut Champ of Baltimore, why queer people are so obsessed with soup, to which she said, That's not a thing, Parker. That's what I thought. I know that's not a thing.
5: Okay, first of all, you're making it seem like us queers just put soup on a pedestal. I'm just saying that us queers like to eat some soup. I'm always being invited to soup cooking parties, soup potlucks, even soup exchanges.
1: But I mean, everyone loves soup. It's delicious and it's cheap. But then I talk to my friend Kiana and she leaves me impassioned messages like this.
0: Why do I like soup so much? Let me tell you. Even though they look so easy and simple, they don't. They just take hours. It's almost like, you know, romancing a fan. The seasonally simple, but... In actuality, extremely hard.
5: True, true, true. Uh, But also, Parker, I, I have a confession. I actually don't like soup. Wait, what? I don't like it.
1: This would have been good information to know about weeks ago.
5: What, I feel we like it? well, it's still even though I don't like soup, it's still something I was curious about, and it's still something that holds up. I'm just a special anomaly, okay?
1: First of all, it's, uh, so
3: it's already not a thing, and you haven't preached it, it to a being thing. less of that God. thing. I'm Coming up, one more God. investigation from Zakia,
2: and it is a doozy. Nancy will be right back. What
1: is wrong? It's a with thing. You? No one is carrying soup around Brooklyn. Queers.
2: So, Zakiya. Yes. You have been working on a super secret investigation.
5: Super top secret classified, except it's not, because I'm about to tell you. Right, right, right. Okay. (laughs) Okay, what have you been looking into? So, uh, yeah, a listener asked us, when did glory holes become a thing?
3: That's a good question. I That is a great question.
5: That's why I was like, this deserves my undivided attention. (laughs) (laughs) do y'all know what what a glory hole is
2: a hole in a wall through which one person may present their something to be somethinged and then another person (laughs) on the other side of the wall will do that something uh and my mom can hit fast forward right now about 15 (laughs) seconds
5: um, oral sex right I talked to a scholar of human sexuality, Dr. Chris White. He's a glory hole expert.
6: This is not a purely academic exercise for me.
5: He gave us an official definition.
6: A glory hole is usually found in a public restroom. And someone has gone in there and taken it upon themselves to either bring in a drill or a saw or something and cut a hole in the partition. Someone has gone into a space that was not created for sucking dick and made a glory hole so that they could suck dick.
5: Glory holes are a part of gay men's cruising culture. But of course, they aren't just for gay men. All types of people enjoy anonymous dicks through holes. But because of the particular oppression and homophobia that gay men have faced and for some continue to face. A lot of these places were created so that men could go and have anonymous sex with other men without being found out and uh, especially at a time when it was not acceptable to be gay. And that's still the case for many people. But for others who feel safe being out, they still enjoy cruising at glory holes because of the thrill of having an anonymous and spontaneous hookup. And because, you know, sometimes it's a turn on to do something that you're not supposed to do.
3: Okay, but who's cleaning the hole before that happens?
5: Oh, sweet, sweet Kathy. (laughs) Okay, now to answer the question, what's the oldest glory hole I can find? If you all were to guess how far back glory holes go, what would your guess be?
3: Like, what year? I'm going to guess just because I was obsessed with Greek mythology, I'm going to say around then. Whenever then is. Whenever Greek mythology was? When there were (laughs) gods.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's a forgotten chapter of the Iliad.
3: That's my guess is (laughs) then.
2: I'm going to make a more contemporary guess. Because my associations would be more with, like, the gay scene happening in the 80s in New York. And so I would—I'm I, just going to make a wild guess and say sometime around then is, like, a first known recorded formal instance of a glory
5: hole. I can't wait to be right. So the first thing I had to do for this investigation was learn something about architecture. Because, you see, you can't have a glory hole without a wall.
3: That is (laughs) the deepest thing you've ever said to me. But it's true.
5: So I had to find out when stall doors went up in bathrooms, you know, when bathrooms stopped being communal. And it turns out walls and bathrooms went up in the late 900s. And it all started with Western European monks at monasteries because all of a sudden there's this panic from the people who run the monasteries that
0: monks are going to see each other's genitals and they're going to go straight from that to wanting to touch each other's genitals. And uh, all of a sudden you have an orgy in the bathroom going on every night.
5: That's Dr. Anise Strong. She's a historian who specializes in the history of gender and sexuality. And I asked her if monks were actually getting busy in the bathrooms.
0: People usually don't go to the trouble of passing lots of rules and laws and reshaping the architecture of their structures at significant expense if there isn't at least some legitimate fire behind that smoke. And
5: she also says that the walls in bathrooms trend, of course, eventually extended beyond monastery bathrooms and into the general public. So thank you, horny monks, for the cell doors. Okay, so now we know where the bathroom walls come in, but when did the holes pop up? Okay, so y'all remember Pompeii? Uh, sure, yes. sort
2: of. Oh, my God. Was some poor person calcified next to it? <laughs>
5: <No>. <laughs> yeah, so there uh, a body was calcified, uh, and you see his dick in a hole.
3: And, Are you serious? And on
5: the other side, it was someone else's calcified with the dick in their Tobin, mouth.
3: Tobin, I have to say, I cannot tell whether or not she's lying right now. I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> but
5: what was preserved was a mysterious hole used for sexy purposes.
3: So, okay, how do you know that? Let
5: me break it down. So, Archaeologists discovered the remains of a bedroom in Pompeii, which would have been from 6th to 7th century
0: BC. And someone standing outside this particular bedroom could have looked through a peephole directly at a bed oh, where there might have been a couple making love. So,
5: peepholes are the distant cousins to glory holes. Dr. Strong says there's a lot of evidence, especially in ancient Rome, of folks looking through holes to watch people have sex. Like, voyeurism was all the rage back then.
0: This is true for both male-female couples and for male-male couples. Okay, Loki,
3: I was right. I did say ancient Greece, ancient times. Come on.
5: No, Kathy. It was a peephole, not a glory hole.
0: That hole is about five and a half feet off the ground. So, in order to put your penis through it, you'd have to do some fairly impressive acrobatics.
5: Some people even theorize that peep holes are the predecessors to glory holes. You know, people went from peeping to peeping and sucking. So, when did people start actually getting freaky through a hole in the wall? Maybe it started with Shakespeare. In A Midsummer Night's Dream... There's a scene where two lovers are jailed next to each other in separate cells, but there's a small hole in the wall that's between them. And one says to the other,
3: My cherry lips have often kissed thy stones. I kiss the walls whole, not your lips at all. Wait, yes! Holy shit! What?
5: This whole scene, like, I remember this whole scene. That is a fucking glory hole. Right? Here are two very horny people separated by a wall with a hole in it. Like, this definitely has to be a glory hole.
0: This is, in fact, very specifically not a glory hole, which doesn't mean that it's saying that glory holes don't exist. This is a a hole in the wall that is not big enough to even kiss through lovers say, hey, if you were a nice wall, you would be big enough that we could join our bodies through it. But you're not. So all we can do is talk through this wall.
5: So we have kissing and wishful thinking about being able to fuck through this hole in the wall. But as for this specific hole in Midsummer Night's Dream, not a glory hole, unfortunately.
2: Damn it, Shakespeare.
5: I did so much research, combed through so many historical papers, and had so many awkward phone calls with academics about glory holes. But nothing. I started to lose hope, started to think I was going to let my dear listener down and come back empty-handed with no answer about what the oldest glory hole is. But then I found one. (gasps) Where? So the first documented case of a glory hole was in 1707.
2: Wow. We were both so wrong.
5: There was a court case uh, called the Trials of Thomas Vaughn and Thomas Davis.
3: (gasps) Yes. Two Thomases.
5: Two Thomases, because I guess it was, you know, 1707 England. (laughs) So everyone was Thomas. (laughs) There's a transcript of a court case between the two Thomases. Here's an excerpt from the court document. Keep in mind, this is from 1707. And it starts with Thomas number one. He, having had occasion to go to the borough of Southwark
2: to a customer of his about some business. In his return, took water and landed at the temple stairs. But having
5: occasion to untrust a point, went down to the Temple Bog House. Thomas number one had to pee, so he went to this public bathroom called the Temple Bog House. Where he had not been long before a boy in the adjoining vault put his pretty member through a hole. And Thomas number two in the next stall put his dick through a hole in the stall door. Which he,
2: perceiving, was so surprised that he immediately went away.
5: And the first guy, Thomas number one, was like, ah, what the fuck, and left.
2: But he was no sooner come out, but the boy followed him and
5: cried out, stop him, saying he would have buggered him. And the guy who pulled his dick out, Thomas number two, followed Thomas number one out of the bathroom and shouted for help, claiming that Thomas number one was trying to have sex with him.
2: So it was a trap?
5: How
3: did you understand that from all of that? Yes, you're exactly right. (laughs) No, no, hold on. Hold on. What? I don't understand what is happening. So
5: the guy who stuck his dick through the hole was blackmailing the guy with the full bladder. But the guy who just wanted to pee was like, um, what you're doing is extortion. That's super illegal. So I'm going to take you to court. So they go to court with extortion charges and buggery charges, which is gay sex, And that's how we have a court record of this first ever documented glory hole.
3: Wow. The legal proceedings.
5: I know. They were thorough in 1707.
3: Seriously, yeah.
5: So the reason this glory hole was even documented in the first place came out of the fact that at this point in England, sex between men was illegal, even punishable by death, and, you know, laws prohibiting sodomy persisted up until modern times. Like, it took until 2003 for the U.S. Supreme Court to ban anti-sodomy laws. And despite this, some states still have anti-sodomy laws on the books. So glory holes have always played a part in men finding each other while keeping their identities safe.
6: So there was this sort of network and this these messages being left about where to go could go to these glory holes and people would write on the walls in like Sharpie, um, you know, be here at this time or, you know, hot action here from, you know, 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. on Thursday or whatever. There would also be notes like, heads up, police are patrolling it or whatever. So watch out.
5: And Dr. White says that feeling is what defines glory holes the most, the finding each other.
6: It's very pure. Nothing else matters at that moment. And I think, you know, especially when you think about these men who, um, before our culture and our society changed, when they desired that deep connection with another man and the only way that they could get it was to go and have that through a glory hole, it's putting everything at risk. You know, your family, your job, your life possibly, to go and to take this risk, to have this connection with another man in a way that you can't
2: in the other parts of your life. I mean, I never thought I would say this, but you have me convinced that, like, the true glory holes are, in their own ways, like, little monuments to queer ingenuity. Like, they're sort of, like, little... I don't know, just, like, little bits of evidence of, like, resilience, almost.
5: Yes! So much of queer culture is embodied in glory holes. The resilience, the resourcefulness, the strong sense of community that kept these spaces alive the DIY vibe of literally carving out a queer space where there was none. And now, all kinds of glory holes exist. Ones in bathrooms, ones in bathhouses and adult video arcades, ones that people make in their own bedrooms, and, of course, good old-fashioned glory holes in bathrooms are still out there. There's even message boards where people swap notes on where to find glory holes out in the wild. and. There are still rogue glory hole drillers out there slinking around in the black of night, drill in hand, keeping the tradition alive.
2: Yeah, it's like they can try to keep us apart, but we are going to burst through that wall and find each other.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like they say in Jurassic Park, life finds a way. Deep.
3: What even is this episode about? (laughs) That's our show. Friendly reminder that if you tell someone about the show, we'll send you a Nancy patch. Go to nancypodcast.org for more info.
2: Producers
3: Zakia Gibbons and B.A. Parker.
2: Sound designer
3: Jeremy Bloom. Editor Sarah Geis.
2: Executive producer
3: Susie Lechtenberg.
2: I'm Kathy too.
3: I'm Tobin Lowe.
2: And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios. Oh, and then
1: you get like the glory holes in the Jurassic Park font.